I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends. Paul Verhoeven here and my dad, John Verhoeven, is here as well. And we are here to talk about, well, I mean, dad, this is the end of the, um, this is the end of Dead Serious. So normally we talk about your time in the funeral home and Loose Ends is our kind of bonus series. So... I guess we should kind of just get as many funeral home related questions and stories done as possible. Are you down with that? I'm down. You know, you've got to get down before you can get up. Sure. Hmm. This is going very well. Thank Let you. me just bring up these questions. Here we go. I, there's just so many questions people have got. Also, I hope everyone's doing okay. Um, Victoria hit six cases today and zero deaths, which is our best yet. So oh, we're all awesome. feeling a little better. Here we go. This is from Steph. Hi, guys. Macabre question for loose ends. Does the crematorium have a chimney? If so, how does it not spread ash all over the cemetery? Steph. Hi, Steph. Um, <laughs> in answer to your question, yeah, was that Steph there? Yeah, no. that was her just now. Beautiful voice. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Steph, uh, great question. The answer is yes. It does have a chimney. But does it spread ash everywhere? No, because they've got things within the... They've got a very complex filtration system uh-huh. um, that, that sorts out the uh, all the different... Uh, <laughs> Things. You don't know. It's okay to I say do you don't know. know. You Paul, don't to... Paul, I used to watch the smoke mate, coming out of the crematorium. Mate, no, you don't, Paul. No. Paul? You don't uh, know. Steph, in answer to your question, it's it's yes. It's, it's an affirmative. Uh, in the affirmative. I remember I used to watch the... Uh, uh, I mean, I didn't sort of stare and wait, but the, the colour of the smoke would change. So when the smoke became darker, mm-hmm. that always indicated the actual cremation or a cremation was taking place. And if it's white, they have a new Pope. Yep. <laughs> it's okay to laugh, Dad. It's all right. No, no, it's fine. I got, a new, um, I got another message here. Hey, Paul and John. I'm not sure which episode it was from, but was listening the other day about the medical emergency at the crematorium with the travelling Obama and your special pen. God, that was a good episode. It got me wondering a couple of things. How a pacemaker could possibly be missed? Was this person originally going to be buried so the funeral home didn't remove it? How many people oversee the body? Hang on, let's 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 address that question first. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, one at a time. Yeah. Can you? What, what was the first question? You must listen. Okay. No, regarding I was listening. The, regarding the special pen, it got me wondering how a pacemaker could possibly be missed. Was this person originally going to be buried so the funeral home didn't remove it? Um. Look. My father mm. had a pacemaker. Did he? And you didn't know that? Well, no. Mm. And I've discussed with listeners what it looks like. His looked like a packet of cigarettes underneath the skin, up near the collarbone. Now, obviously, 
um, after he died, someone in some process was involved in removing the pacemaker. Um, was it done at the funeral home? It could have been done at the hospital where he was. But by the time he was cremated, you can bet your bottom dollar because one of the key questions, apart from doing a visual inspection on my father or anyone with a pacemaker or anyone who passes away, it's pretty obvious there's a pacemaker. However, on this particular occasion, bearing in mind to the to the person that wrote in, it was not our funeral. It was another funeral home. And what had happened was, from what I can gather, is that they check the paperwork and it may have said, does this particular person have a pacemaker? And then the second, the ancillary question may well be, has the pacemaker been removed? And perhaps it was not answered in the affirmative. So that's, to me, fairly fairly simple, in that at the very last minute they realised, because the paperwork is checked time and time again, obviously. It's, it's, it, it's just it's checked and triple-checked by numerous people within the process. Yeah. And when you take that paperwork and you've got the body in the back of the hearse as the sort of as the conductor you then go to the office and you hand over all that paperwork they check that microscopically and then at that point it may well have been realized they felt they they read the report for the deceased and it would have said pacemaker correct pacemaker removed and maybe and that's what created the the situation so but we it had nothing to do with us really we we just happened to be sort of there that day and my colleague, uh, one of the guys who was the, the travelling embalmer, mm-hmm. uh, they knew who he was and they then used him to... And, and my uh, Hemingway pen, of course. Yeah, okay. Um, next up, next up I've got a, a note from the Facebook page. Apparently, Dad, you know how you told the story earlier this week about uh, re- you know having the the person die with the motorcycle accident and you were doing the St. John's Ambulance thing by the mm. side of the road. Yeah. Um, a lot of people pointing out that you've told that story four times before, which first of all, I think that might be an aggressive overestimation. Secondly, you've talked about being in the uh, ambulance service before, but you'd never actually talked about doing it when you're a teenager or at least not in that detail. Um, but I'm going through how many hours you and I have been telling stories for. And I think the fact that we haven't, you know, told each story 10 times already because of forgetfulness is something of an accomplishment. Have you noticed that sometimes we do it accidentally sort of stray back into the same territory a little bit? Yes, I do. But I think it's important Mm. to occasionally um, refer to incidents in the past because they're inextricably um, sort of interconnected Mm. primarily because they're they're things that happened to me. Um, And look, Dear listeners, I am 60. <laughs> I've still got my faculties, at least. I, th- I, I think, think what, I've still got my faculties. I think they were razzing me for like um, for not remembering that the story had been told before. I mean, to be fair, everyone, I did write two books about these stories. So I've got like all these different intermingling versions of events going on. Mm. Um, whereas, whereas you guys just get to sit back and kind of listen. You know what it's mm. like? It's like when you are um, you come into a party and you get introduced to 20 people, Right. And those 20 people have one name to remember. They just have to remember that one name. They just sit back and they're like, oh, it's that's that's Jessica. But Jessica has to remember 20 names. Mm. And so naturally some stuff's going to leak out. It's, mm. it's, that's kind of what it's like being the curator of the stories. It's mm. really... I'm not going to keep a spreadsheet of all dad's stories. No, no, no. I, 
Another way of looking at it is, you know when you see a Tarantino film and you see the same story from different perspectives and it's like, ooh, a different perspective on mm. the same event. Just mm. just look at it that way. But I also, guess. Paul um, yeah. and, and listeners, mm. and I think this is a really critical point, mm-hmm. there would be lots and lots of people, because I'm aware, I'm not on Facebook, but Christine is, and she shares a lot of the um, the comments and I, and I do go through them with, with fervent uh, interest. And the thing I'm realizing is that over the last few years, there are thousands and thousands of people that have come into this whole sort of um, loose units, electric blue world. Mm. And then we've got the live shows where we used to do special stories that were like treats for the people that came in to the live shows that we've never discussed mm. on air. And... Um, we we ha- so let's imagine we have s- some listeners that started uh, eight weeks ago. Yeah. So they and they may not have read the books. So we can't assume that we're telling this entire chronological <laughs> story from the year dot. And I mean to repeat the odd story is. Um, Anyway, look, that's part of my uh, look. I don't think that's anyone part of was, my nature. I know, Dad. I love you, Dad. I'm not. I'm not annoyed at you. I think what no. people were saying was, I should have caught it uh, because my reaction was, "Wow, I can't believe I've been told this before. I haven't been told this before, but I had been told it before, apparently." But mm. you know, um, no, that's got, cool. Got a lot um, on my mind. Okay, hang on. There's more questions. Here we go. Uh, this is <laughs> there's more questions from this mega question. I'm gonna have to run through them so we don't run out of time. Here we go. So we've covered the pacemaker. Here's the next part. How many people oversee the body during the process of funeral preparation? Hmm. All right. Well, person dies. Yep. Um, depending on where it happens. So if it happens in a private home, obviously the family, if they're there or friends, they will get a pretty good idea that the person has passed away. They may call the ambulance um, because they might not know who else to call. The ambulance will arrive. They will uh, say, although they're not legally entitled to life to pronounce life extinct. That, that can only be done by a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, ambulance, at least when I was in the police force, um, the ambulance were not required to carry a deceased person in the back of an ambulance, mm-hmm. unless, of course, the person was alive. They get into the ambulance. They're working on them furiously en route to, say, St. Vincent's, mm-hmm. um, to give an example of a big hospital in Sydney. And on the trip um, to the hospital, the person passes away they will then rock up to the hospital a doctor will then come out may use at least when i was in the police force the doctor would use a stethoscope he would put the stethoscope on the person's near their heart Mm -hmm. and he would listen for a heartbeat and then he would say this person is now deceased Um, then depending on the circumstances that person would either be conveyed to the crematorium sorry the the nursing home um, and the funeral parlour would, you know, take take over and organise for a cremation or burial. Or, if there were uh, certain circumstances that a lot of the listeners are aware of, the person would be conveyed to um, the Division of Forensic Medicine, um, the morgue, and the person would then undergo a post-mortem. Once the post-mortem was carried out, the funeral home would come to the... Um, the morgue, they'd pick up the deceased, convey to funeral home, then the process. So there are many, many people involved in this process. It's continually being checked. And identification is critical. And once that person is identified, 
either by the family. They have they have a viewing room at the um, at morgues where it used to be where the family would actually be brought in to a room, and in that room would be the loved one on a gurney, and they would simply, like in the movies, they'd peel back the uh, the cover. And some poor member of family would have to, if if the body was suitable for um, for a visual inspection, yeah. A member of the family would say that they'd be asked asked a question from a member of staff: "Is this the body of, for example, John Francis Verhoeven?" And Christine or you or a member of family would stand there and say that this is. This is basically me. Yeah. Um, however, fairly soon after I left the New South Wales Police Force, they created a more congenial situation where the body would be viewed from behind glass, which I think's probably better. Okay. If, if someone said to the staff, could we please go in and, you know, pay our last respects, I think they have a v- they'd have a room. But look, we're getting into semantics here. That I think we're going to have to like speed through the rest of the questions for cool. Kirsten. Okay. Um, no, okay, so this next one's really interesting and it relates to a lot of stuff I've been thinking. Are your clothes taken off before you are cremated, hence why he was shirtless before entering the oven? Um, great question. Answer, not necessarily. In fact, more than likely the person can be clothed completely. Yep. Uh, they're, not in, they're not sort of encouraged to wear jewellery, um, although some people do request that they be, but what happens is, um, once the cremation has taken place, they feed these um, super magnets into the uh, oven, and they 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 sort everything out. They pick up uh, like metal, yep. but obviously there are people that are buried with lots of pins and screws that fixate broken bones. I mean, well, they they you, they, they are had, burnt. I mean, you've had those in your body before. You had a plate and eleven screws, and, yeah, yeah. but they've been removed. But mm. they could well have stayed in in me until I passed away. If I was cremated, they'd then find those and they'd mm. send them off to be recycled. Okay. Okay. Yep. Cool. Uh, next question: uh, Why wasn't he sealed? Why wasn't he in a sealed coffin? He was in a sealed coffin. When they got the paperwork, mm. um, they would have realised, oh shit, he's probably got a pacemaker. It doesn't say it's been removed. Yep. When we went out there, they unscrewed the top of the casket, um, exposed the body, mm-hmm. and then my colleague proceeded to remove the pacemaker. Cool. Okay, great. great. Well, Kirsten, thank you for that sushi train of questions. Uh, let's Let's keep fanging on. Here we go. This is from Holly. One, who destroyed evidence from drug cases and did it ever have an effect on people, contact high, etc.? So I assume what she means is if you if your job was to dispose of drugs, like burn them, destroy them, break them down, do you are you at risk of getting a contact high? I assume if Definitely. you have if it's marijuana. Well if you, you have like twenty massive... kilos of weed, I mean you would yeah. want to kind of But they burn plantations and you can't yeah. tell me that I mean I've seen these plantations being burnt mm. on TV. I've never been to one. Mm. Um but there's a lot of smoke and in that smoke's THC and if you're Standing downwind, my my, um, I would imagine, you'd become you'd be off your tits. Be great, and you'd be running around looking for the nearest sheep or whatever. Sheep. Hmm. What could, are you saying? Now you're either you're either trying to imply that you would get the munchies so bad you'd want to eat a live sheep, yeah. or no, not or that. you would want to fuck a sheep. Yeah. That that's not. I mean, that's no, not. No, I'm what... just saying. I'm 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 just saying that marijuana. THC can send people off in different tangents. Ooh, nothing another... like a nothing like a jazz cigarette. 
<laughs> the second question, Paul, can you please make a ringtone of your beautifully unique siren sounds? Dad, should I make... Should we have a ringtone of the fire of the fire engine sound? You mean the dually sound? <laughs> cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, shit. There's a, oh, there's a Paul, lot. <laughs> you are a multi-talented person and I Idiot. love you dearly. Thanks, Dad. Um, yep. Here's another question. This is from Mel. Hi, John. A friend of mine's family member has their case in a podcast at present. They have been missing for 20 years. Holy shit. Interested to know if you've been involved in any funerals for people who are missing long term and what was it like? Mel. Um, Mel, great question. No. <laughs> Sorry, Mel. That's Hang on. So a you Have you never conducted a funeral for a body that wasn't present? There's always been a body oh, involved. Um, oh, that's shit. That's a good question then. Um, no, but the answer still no. Um, <laughs> but okay. it's a great question, and it's that that is a really wow. Imagine if um, well, for example, um, at sea, yeah. Imagine the whole ship, everyone goes down, but they, mm-hmm. I imagine they had funerals for. Well, take the Titanic for example. Um, lots of people died, and their bodies are never recovered. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what happens in a mining disaster if they never ever recover? They're just buried for, forever. Um. I guess the family would would want to do, but I've never personally done a funeral with no one, nothing inside the casket. But I think from a ritual perspective and hopefully some type of closure, it could be a very, very good idea. Okay. Just just like some sort of ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Here is frankly the most intense, longest and maybe best message I've ever received from a listener. And this uh, this is pretty intense. Uh, I hope you're ready for this, Dad. This is a really big one. Mm. So, hi, John and Paul. As a late to catch up, but now extremely avid fan, I just wanted to share something with you and say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Four years before I was born, my mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia with multiple personality disorder. Now, that in itself would have you questioning, question procreating. However, she married my father, and in 1970, in the last days of summer, I was born. I mean, this is like a this is a David Copperfield vibe to it, and I'm loving it. Six weeks later, I was being taken by ambulance to hospital, blue and unconscious from being overdosed on liquid finergan, and thus my roller coaster ride began. 
My parents separated and the cycle of access visits, the occasional stint in foster care, visits to lawyers and exposure to the seedy criminal underworld began. It was not unusual for my little two-year-old self to be found wandering the city of Hobart in the middle of the night cold and scared. Nor later was it a novelty to sit in the front of the police car whilst a kindly officer would take me back to my father. I learned that adults couldn't always be trusted, but when your mother's big, burly, debt-collecting standover man de facto puts a shotgun to your head, then it was time to listen. Um, Dad, I don't know whether that's a figurative or a literal one, but given the tone, it could be either. I'll keep reading. Over a period of nine years from my birth to her death, my mother lost custody of me, became a prescription drug addict, was forced to prostitute herself, made multiple attempts to take her own life, and eventually was murdered by her de facto. Ooh, okay. John, you would know what I mean when I say it's easier to write the car off because it was a lemon anyway, rather than investigate further the cause of the accident and the damage. My mother's body was found in her home on the toilet floor with her pajama pants around her ankles. She had been dressed for bed. She had been deceased an estimated 48 hours when officers attended, one of which I read his statement in the coroner's report many, many times. In her oven, which was still on with the remnants of what is supposed as a frozen pizza, if going by the box, that was found in the kitchen. In her living room, there were two glasses on the coffee table, both containing traces of beer, but one also containing traces of multiple crushed medications. There were two brands of cigarettes in the ashtray. I'll let your mind work it out, John. My mother's death was recorded as suicide in the coroner's report. On the day of her funeral, her de facto purchased two bags of quicklime and proceeded to bury and lime all of her personal possessions. Ten years after her death, I had a need to know more, and upon confronting the coroner, I was now a member of the ADF and quite eloquent in my manner, I was told there were things I didn't need to know and that the past were different times, that I should get back in the plane and go home to which was at the time, ironically, North Head. God, it's a small world. Fast forward another 10 years, where I'm drinking in a bar in Hobart with a few friends and an off-duty police officer. The conversation turns to the old days and the criminal underworld of the 1970s. The whole while, the officer's name is going through my head as being familiar. I steer the conversation to a head by dropping a couple of names, Burley de facto included, to which said now police officer stops and asks me why would I ask. When I said I'd known him as a child, as he'd been de facto to my mother... The inspector's glass literally slipped through his fingers and smashed on the slate tiles. He said my mother's name in a haunted voice, and it was then I realized why his name had been bugging me. He had been the young officer who had found my mother's body 20 years before. As you can imagine, I was in shock, and what happened next confirmed my ongoing suspicions. He looked at me and said, I know what you're going to ask, and I can't tell you. However, it was not by her own hand, and that's all I'll ever say. So I just wanted to say thank you for acknowledging all the wonderful police out there, John and Paul, but also pointing out that there were some really dirty police and a dirty judicial system back in those days. Like all suicides, inverted commas, my mother's death was not for media and her file was closed as such. I had nothing to gain but everything to lose as a mum of two young boys at that stage, so I didn't pursue reopening her file, but I now know the truth. I'm now 50 with a beautiful family, a career in, funnily enough, the same field as my mother, nursing and aged care. I'm a case manager in community aged care, trying to keep our loved ones at home as long as possible. I'm Omer to a beautiful 21-month-year-old boy, yes, another Dutch kid here, and I found the podcast to which I've binged catching up, and both books, which I've just finished, Paul, I loved Choose Your Own Adventure books, and secretly hoped that was going to be the big surprise, so I was thrilled to have been a most welcome distraction from these strange times and healing process at the same time. Thank you so very, very much, Nicole Chapman. That's fantastic. <clears throat> wow. Pretty full-on. Probably the most full-on 
correspondence we've ever put out there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's like a... I mean, that's the plot for a TV show. Jesus mm. Christ. So, what are your thoughts on, on the crime itself or the potential crime and the fact that years later someone told her, look, I know that it wasn't a suicide, but you're going to have to drop it? Um, <clears throat> well, it's not a unique story. Um, I was involved in lots of things where you just knew that things were not being done properly or for lots of reasons that I was unaware of. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And perhaps um, in that particular case, I mean, I can hypothesise, um, but because of um, the mum's past, perhaps the the conditions uh, of the apartment, mm-hmm. uh, things were not perhaps um, done, done properly. Um, although my mind does get drawn to the point that perhaps the the other person that was there um, he he may have had connections within the uh, the constabulary oh shit really okay well that's just a bit of a theory I remember there's the case in um, that turned into a story in electric blue in the book electric blue involving the two detectives who were out of area and you reached down to pick up one of the buttons from the jacket of a woman who you thought had died in suspicious circumstances that was remember she was found uh, on on the edge of that cliff and you thought well there would have been a struggle for that mm. button to come off yeah. or someone carried her there hmm. yeah that was just a blatant um cover up and but that uh, but that stuff happened right like, yeah i mean yeah i mean there are lots of stories that the listeners will never hear in any book or podcast or live show, because I'm not stupid. Will you tell me? On the QT. Okay. But not, not. I'll have to pat you down for for bugging devices, Paul. There's heaps how, of shit that I know about. Do you know how much? They, but do you know how much that's going to infuriate listeners hearing that there is stuff they will never find out about? Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't have a death wish. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, there. Policing in the eighties in Sydney. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I've been contacted a few times by exceptionally senior police officers in the New South Wales police force. Yeah. In the last year, mm-hmm. and uh, every single person that's contacted me, a has told me more heavy shit, layer upon layer, um, about the stories you've written about. Mm-hmm. Um. And. They're all very positive in terms of what we're doing. Um, but like I said, I, I do know when to stop chatting. Yeah. Um, remember that time on Channel 9, I think it was, or Channel 10 that morning? Oh, yeah, we and had... They, um, yeah. And they wanted to sort of get me to say things, and I just looked at the camera and said, well, Roger Rogerson's still alive. I mean, fair suck of the salve. Give me Dad, a it was break. actually... It was one specific person on the panel know, who was needling you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's, that's how. And, and, and the time we were on... That, that went to that radio station to do the, the interview live thing. Yeah, you know it's anyway. That's 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 what what people what 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 some people do in in that line of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, everyone um, has got stories. Everyone, and yeah. it's just a matter of uh, you know. But I think we've been very judicious in the way we've told the stories, and. Um, yeah, it's exciting times, and um, but you know you've also got to look after your own back because um, there's no statute of limitations on a lot of these serious crimes, is there? Which means that you know 
like in some countries, if you murder someone, if you can sort of not get caught for, say, 10 years mm. and then you get arrested or, or you get questioned 11 years later, they can't do anything because, hello, I've, I've, I've remained, um, you know, out of the police eye for a long, long time and I've managed to stay undetected and now I'm immune. Um, but it's fascinating also, Paul, because people carry secrets with them and, you know, sometimes secrets become too hard to hold on to. Yeah. And there have been cases that I know, and, and fair cop, we know we've discussed this before for anyone that's going to mention that particular thing. But, but you know, I have mentioned there was a very famous case where a, a guy that had murdered a woman in on the northern beaches, 40 years later, he walked into a police station. 40 years later, he was never, ever going to get caught. Mm. And he walked in and he just presented himself at the counter and he said, oh, that particular blah, 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 that was me. Because and 40 years to hang on to something. And eventually he just thought, I just cannot. And sometimes people, that's why, and then, yes, we've, we've discussed this before as well, but you've got dying declarations where people, as they're about to draw their last breath, they, it's held in law. It's, it's, a, it's a common held belief that most people, when they're dying, if they're mm. going to say something profound or admit to something, generally speaking, they're not going to bullshit. But then again, they might be bullshitting. Maybe they get this really, this sort of last, sort of cynical, well, fuck you attitude. I may as well bring someone else down. I mean, it's really incredible, isn't it? Look, it's so complicated. Whenever you've got humans in in the mix, um, it's uh, it's fraught. fraught what do with... you um? What do you think your last words will be? Uh, well, I hope I don't have any last words. I hope I just pass away at two in the morning in a deep sleep. Yeah, but the last words you said will have been said. Therefore, oh, yeah. there'll be your last words. So, what do you think your last? What, what would you like your last words to be? Keep it really brief, pithy, quotable. Like, what are your last words? Um, that I love my family. Um, that I've um. God, Paul, you've really thrown me there. Well, oh, Oscar Wilde was staying in a bedsit, I believe, and his last words it's were, I think, it's the wallpaper or me. Um, and mm. then he died. Uh, it's got to be something quotable. I mean, you could just finish with something loose units related. You know, you could just say, um, uh, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> Look, Paul, you've really, th- mate, I... Yeah, I wasn't ready for that. How about, like, as a competition, all right, uh, all listeners, could you please hop on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash loose units and please help us out. What do you think dad's last words should be? And, uh, yeah, the best, uh, the best, and the winner gets to legally dictate dad's actual last words. Um, Dad, you want to ask me what mine would be? Paul, what would your last words, what would you like them to be? Uh, I think I'd have to go with, uh, I mean, this is a Douglas Adams reference, but probably, oh, no, not again. Just to really confuse people around me into thinking that maybe I've been going around a few times. I, well, you know, I, yeah. I have... I mean, I, I do love the words, so long and thanks for all the fish. Oh, that's great too, yeah. I like that. Maybe that... Okay, we can both go Douglas Adams. That's fine. Mm. Uh, okay, so next week, listeners, on Tuesday morning, 
we kick off the next season of Loose Units. Technically, it's season five of Loose Units, and it's called Loose Units Origins. So every week, we're going to be going through a couple of chapters of Loose Units. Now, uh, Dad, do you have a copy of Loose Units with you? I most certainly... Do you actually want me to grab the actual physical copy? I need to find out how long those chapters are. Just bear with me. Okay. Oh, this is so exciting. I love the, the, the feel of loose units. It's, it's a, a, a different feel to the electric blue. They, they do feel very different physically. Yeah, very. Yeah. Um, I, was, right, I, was, I was thinking we could probably go the first two chapters. Okay. Um, all right. So, well, look, um, do you want me to tell you what they are? or Yes, please. What are they uh, called? I'm actually opening. This is so exciting. Um, <laughs> what about the prologue? Yes, we'll do the prologue. Okay, yeah. well, that's, that's good. And then there's Don't Be a Tool, chapter yep. one. Yep. And then chapter two, purely academical. Yeah, let's do those, okay? Fantastic. So we're going to do the prologue, don't be a tool, and purely academical. So for those of you who are somehow out of the loop on this, every week we're going to go through a couple of chapters of Loose Units because Loose Units and Electric Blue are both books based on things that happen to Dad. But what we're going to do with uh, Loose Units Origins is every week we're going to tell the stories behind the stories and it's mm. going to go really deep really weird it's going to be really enjoyable and for those of you who haven't already got a copy please go out and buy electric blue christmas is coming up so grab it for your friends for your families audiobooks physical just like grab as many copies as you can um dad uh grandma your mother has bought uh, a an unconscionable amount of books for friends and family of hers mm. so if my grandma can do it so can you so and thank you to everyone who's bought it so far we're really excited about this new season of loose units and we will see you on tuesday for episode one of Loose Units Origins. Cheerio. <laughs> Menacing pause. Paul, Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually do have something I would like to be my last words. Oh, what, what are they? Um, well, I had a bit of an epiphany mm-hmm. um, a few nights ago and I was watching um, a show mm-hmm. with a panel of journalists and one of the journalists explained. Now, listeners, I just need to let you know that... Um, I've always had this real problem, and it, and it really has bugged me pretty well my entire life. I don't know whether I've discussed it before, but it's sort of, you know how we all have our crosses to bear, things that we, if things could have been different, uh, I would love this particular thing to have been completely different in my life. And that is that, well, anyway, look, let's just say that this particular woman was talking about she was the first person in her entire generation on both sides of the family, the very, very first person to go to university. And I had an epiphany when she said that. And I turned to Christine and I said, finally, I've come to terms with that whole thing. And I said, Christine, and it was like a lightning bolt hitting me after all these years, I finally reconciled with a way of putting everything into context, Paul, and that is that I'm the first person on both sides of the family mm-hmm. in all the generations not to go to university. Isn't that amazing? Really? I was the first person. And because I was kicked out of home when I was 16, now that took me a long, long time, probably up until recently, to actually not think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of a, a situation where you see talent and potential that perhaps wasn't realised. But I do know that it, it actually was realised in what I've done. But I just think, you know... Anyway, that's how I've sort of 
made light of it. And I think it's funny that I waited 60 years to hear something that triggered that particular thought. Anyway, just thought I'd share that with you. So how are those your la- what are your last words? That I was the first person in the family not to go to university. So as you're dying, as you're collapsing, cinematically falling away from like this mortal coil, you're going to mutter the words, I was the first person in my family not to go to university. Correct. That's what I want to say. That could be my epitaph. That's not great, Dad. Mm, I like it. It's not punchy. <laughs> you should just scream world class and then just explode. Mm. Oh, there are lots of things I could say, but um, you know that's, that's pretty deep. It's deep. It's it's good. It's just this is why I'm the writer. You know what I think? I think we're going to get listeners to actually pick something, and then we're going to make it legally binding. That no matter where you are or what context you're in, or how many years from now it happens, you're going to die. You're going to say that whatever the winner is, and then we're going to film it. Love it. I guess we should wrap the episode up. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.